invite you to turn with me to the book of John. As we wrap up our sermon series in John, we'll be walking through most of chapter 21 of that book. So you're welcome to follow along as we walk through that. It is Easter season. And so we respond with the church worldwide in that call and response. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let us pray. Lord of life and conqueror of death, speak words of life to us through your word this day. Open eyes and open ears. Soften hearts that we might receive what you have for us, that we might see Jesus more clearly and in our seeing become more like him. Bless now the reading and hearing of your word to our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have this morning a breakfast with Jesus. Now, we don't often think of uh, our night's sleep in terms of fasting, yet our morning meal takes that form. Even by name, we break fast. And so we fast through the night and we break it as we eat in the morning. The disciples are fasting from him in his physical presence, but they break that fast with him at that shore. Nor do we often image our sleep as a rehearsal for death, but wisdom invites us to do so, so long as we see dawn as our resurrection. From fasting to feasting, from darkness to dawn, from death to life. This is the life of following Jesus Christ. Dawn arises today in our passage as we follow the risen Christ, commissioning his disciples to a life of service unto him. We're wrapping up this series on John's gospel. When John has written, he said last week in chapter 20, that we might believe in Jesus and have life in him, that we might share in his resurrection life. And so we read in his gospel. We soak in these words. We trust in his truth, which is conveyed in this letter. John has given us seven signs that Jesus did in his ministry, revealing his person, Seven times over, John records the I am statements of Jesus, revealing his person. Seven times, or more than that, he begins on the first day of creation where he says, in the beginning was the word, and then his gospel story ends on the first day of a new creation, a new week has dawned. And now the risen Christ, our text tells us, appears to his disciples a third time. Chapter 21, verse 1 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And we go down to verse 14, it says, This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. We have a bookend here, don't we? It's talking about Jesus' appearance, and this is the third time he's appearing in his resurrected life. He first appeared to Mary in the garden that same day to the disciples locked behind, behind a locked door in the upper room. Then he appeared eight days later to our doubting Thomas. And here on the shore, Jesus breakfasts with disciples for this, the third of his appearances, where he commissions service to him and his kingdom, and where he restores relationship with his disciples. Now, if you remember last week's passage... Jesus has already commissioned the disciples. 
Remember, he breathed out his spirit on them, and he said to them, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. But then he is absent from them again. And what does that look like, to be sent by Jesus when he's absent from them? Well, John says at the end of verse 1 that Jesus reveals himself in this way, and he's showing the disciples that they are to be fishers of men and shepherds of souls. When he commissions them to be sent out as he is sent out by the Father, he's commissioning them as fishers of men and shepherds of souls. That's what the relationship looks like with Jesus and with the rest of the world. Now, verses 2 and 3 read this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So he hung up that sign on his shop window, I'm gone fishing, right? So he's got that going. Um, and they said, we will go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, you may count how many disciples. There's not all of them there. Can you guess how many are there? Seven. Seven disciples on the sea, and they're casting nets, but they catch nothing. Something's, something's missing. Now, we might wonder why it is that they take up net again to fish They've just been following Jesus around from Galilee down to Jerusalem and back and forth for about three years here. And they receive his resurrection commission to be sent as the Father sent him. But you do wonder, what would the next step be? Jesus died. He's risen again. He's appeared a couple of times to them. But what, what is the next step? I mean, what is the daily task of Jesus Sending them off to fulfill. Well, when uncertainty of the next step clouds our imagination, we often do the familiar. We often resort to what we know, what we enjoy. And doing the next step this way can be a very healthy approach in uncertain times. And so, these are fishermen. And they go to fish. Verse 4, just as day was breaking... Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. In the same way that Mary was right in Jesus' presence but didn't recognize him at first. The disciples, when they first see him, they don't recognize him at first. And so here, Jesus is 100 yards off, which can be difficult to recognize faces that far off. But it seems still in Jesus' resurrected form that eyes are blind to him until they are opened, and the disciples' eyes will soon be opened. Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. They're following Jesus into the sea, the disciple who is John, our author, first recognizes this is Jesus on the shore commanding us as we obeyed his command, and so the fish came in. Jesus walked on the water. Jesus calmed the raging sea, and now he's calling his disciples to follow him 
into the sea onto dry land. So what's going on in this story? Why is John taking space to tell us about a fishing trip where Jesus soon appears? Well, it's, on some level, it's just about simple o- obedience to Jesus' word, his command. It's vital to, to live a resurrection life in obedience to Christ. Even in the uncertainty, disciples remained faithful to what was best Next, and they obey the simple command to put the net on the right side of the boat. Even after an entire night of nothing, what would it matter, this one step of obedience, when a whole evening has been void and empty, and yet obedience bears much fish? Christian, resurrection life is following Jesus even when we can't see him. Heeding his commands simply, quickly, sharing in his work and following his lead. He's calling the disciples through the sea onto dry land. And secondly, he's calling them to make disciples. See, this scene echoes Jesus' earlier call where he says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew records that for us. With the assurance of his earlier parable as well that the kingdom of heaven is like a net, and the, 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 the fisher, the king, will bring in the fish, people of all nations, to the kingdom of God. So we've got these two commands, or the command and the parable. Jesus calls them to be fishers of men, and we've got the kingdom as a net that will bring fish in, and that's what's happening to the disciples. Jesus is sending them as fishers of men. And we get a hint that there's a lot going on here about the disciples as those being cast into the sea, those being thrown into the nations or the Gentile nations. Look at verse 15 of our chapter. So we didn't read it, but I'll read it now. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now we'll get to that section here in a bit. But do you recognize what Jesus calls him? Simon, son of John, you know what the Hebrew name for John is? Simon, son of Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Peter is the son of the prophet who was thrown into the heart of the sea, into the heart of the Gentile Ninevites, as God's word was going out into the nations. So here on the Sea of Galilee, on the beautiful shores of Tiberias, Peter is the son of Jonah, his whole life here around the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it echoes that story of Jonah from that rebellion and fleeing from his God, rejecting the commission given to him to the fact that he's on the boat, on the Gentile sea, on the nations, until he's thrown into the sea and he's raised again on dry land. A new person to be a prophet to the nations, or as Jesus said, to be fisher of men. He's thrown into the heart of the sea, as he will soon be thrown into the heart of the nations to bear good news. And a result of his bearing good news is that many people enter into the kingdom of God. Chapter 7, the second part, tells us again, Simon Peter heard that it was already put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. 
Peter was naked and he is now clothed in Christ. The catcher of fish now becomes the catcher or the fisher of men. Why is John telling us this strange account? It's because all who believe in Jesus, having life in his name, are called to be fishers of mankind, to be sharers in the life of Jesus and to share that participation through word and deed with those around us. Disciple-making is, as Jesus says, fishing, fishing for people. And look, not all fishermen will look like Peter. Only one of them jumped into the sea like he did. Not everybody's going to have the, be the chief spokesperson or the, the front-line soldier or the upfront leader in the way that Peter was. In fact, for most of us, our call and being sent by Jesus in the same way Jesus was sent by his Father is not as lead or point person in any capacity. But Peter is an example here, regardless of our talents, our vocations, our station in life. We are called to be and to become fishers of men, casting the gospel net to all people far and wide, welcoming into his kingdom through repentance, through faith and obedience. John gives us this story, gives us the life of Peter here, as a reminder of Jesus' initial call, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's a constant reminder for us. We are to share the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And you all, like me, feel the pressure of that. And maybe even more so, you feel our inadequacy in that. What if I mess it up? What if I unnecessarily offend? What if I risk losing this friendship? What if I embarrass myself or others? What if they reject the gospel? What if they reject me? What if I don't know what to say? So Jesus gives us, or John gives us this account to assure us that he is the one who will accomplish the work he sets before us. Verse 9, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Jesus will accomplish the work. Hey, put your net on the right side. And an overabundance of fish comes in as they simply obey his simple command. The number 153 may have significance. I'm not sure. But what is sure is that this catch was an overabundance of fish. John notes the surprise. The net didn't break. There were so many fish. And so it is for the humble servant of the risen Christ who will follow faithfully, who will follow humbly. Christ will bring the harvest. As fishers of mankind, we love and serve Christ by sharing his life and truth with those around us. And we entrust Christ to open the eyes of the blind and to bring them in to his kingdom. But we are more than evangelists here. The son of Jonah is called not only to be a fisher of men, but he's called to shepherd the sheep of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our good shepherd, and he calls us to shepherd his sheep as well. Back to verse 15 and following this account familiar to us. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is it's the restoration of Peter, and it's, it's beautiful. Three times before his crucifixion, Peter denied the Christ. Three times after his resurrection, the Christ restores Peter. We will see through the book of Acts and the letters that bear Peter's name that Peter will go on to lead God's sheep. He will feed and care for the lambs or the sheep of Jesus. Peter was restored by Christ to shepherd the people of Christ, and so are we. No matter how far we have fallen short, no matter how much we have neglected our responsibilities, no matter how badly we have been wounded, he still calls us to serve as under-shepherds of him, our good shepherd. See, picture before this scene of Jesus and Peter talking back and forth. You know, picture Peter, you know, he's dripping wet. He's hauled in some fish, and he's digesting breakfast now, and he's got this smell of a, a charcoal fire. And what would that bring to mind for him? Maybe a, another charcoal fire that he was at maybe a few weeks earlier where he was asked by a bystander, are you one of his followers? And Peter says, no, no, I don't know the guy. Another inquiry comes, are you one of them? No, and a, and a little girl even asks a third time, surely you're, you're one of his disciples. I tell you, I don't know the man. The rooster crows. Peter vehemently refused allegiance. He denied loyalty to Jesus. And now on the shore, there was an earlier enthusiasm where they recognized Jesus for who he is. And, and Peter plunges into the sea. He's reunited with Jesus. But how low might his spirits have gone when the charcoal fire brings back his failures and his rejection of his risen Lord? Do you love me, Peter, more than these? And past failures just come crashing down on Peter. It's always darkest before the dawn. There's most pain before the child is born. And so forgiveness, healing, and restoration, they carry as their close companions pain and sorrow. It says Aslan's, Aslan's uh, claws are peeling the dragon scales of selfishness which have grown thick on Eustace's body in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. So when Jesus heals, he must peel back layers of sorrow, of regret, but he peels only in order to heal. I don't know the man. Do you love me more than these, Peter? I tell you, I don't know him. Do you love me? I don't know the man. Do you love me? See, the first two times, Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me? Yeah, it's that steadfast, unconditional, divine love. Peter, do you agape me? And two times, Peter responds, yes, Lord, 
I phileo you. It's that brotherly, that solidarity love. I'm with you, Jesus. You know it. A third time, Jesus asked, Peter, do you phileo me? You know all things, Lord. You know I phileo you. Brotherly love, solidarity, wrapped in the agape love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Peter appeals to Jesus' omniscience, his own deep affections for Christ. You know that I love you. Each, deep, each question is a deep wound for Peter. Each question is a deeper healing because each question leads to service and a, a holy vocation. You know that I love you. Then what? Then feed my lambs. You know that I love you. Well, then tend my sheep. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter will continue to fish. And Peter will continue to grow as a shepherd of God's people. And it will cost him his very life. Verse 18. Truly, truly, this is Jesus I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Scripture doesn't record Peter's death, but Jesus here tells him that in following Jesus, Peter will, in fact, take up his cross and die. As John writes elsewhere in the book of Revelation, he says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, for their works will follow them. This prophecy of Jesus is, in fact, a benediction on Peter's life. Your labors will not be in vain. A life lived in the resurrected Christ redeems all things, every word, every motive, every sorrow, every joy. All is made new in Jesus and the new life in him. I mean, so look, so we're not, we're not Peter any more than we are Jesus Christ, but as followers of Christ, we share the same commission or the same calling as Peter to be fishers of men and shepherds of souls. We share the life of Jesus as, as fishers of men, and we share the life of Jesus as shepherds of his flock, as under-shepherds of him, him, our good shepherd. So we grow as we fish. The way that we share the life and love of Jesus, it must be unique to each and every one of us in the same way that John's writing differs from Peter's writings. Who differs from Paul's writings? Who differs from James' writing? They were fishing all in their own unique ways. Yet all of us are called to be thrown and to throw ourselves into the sea of nations, which means that we will be asked to engage our neighbor through word and deed. And it's difficult to dialogue and to speak of Christ plainly in our society, but we try. We speak his truth. We show his love through rebuke, through correction, through patience and kindness. We speak his word. And we preach through our actions. His love is extended through hands and feet as we walk with neighbor, as we love our enemies, as we fish, as we, as we are fishers of men. We're called a shepherd. See, the thing is, like, the renewal of the whole world is to be carried out through the body of Christ spread throughout the world. So our care for one another isn't limited to this short or small end, 
but it serves a greater end. Certainly not a lesser than that. It's not less than caring for one another, but it's far bigger than that. Will we neglect to love one another well? Will we hurt the very people we are called to love? Will we fail one another? Yes, yes, and yes. So we must bear one another's burdens patiently. But even as you look around you, as you consider those not with us today in our midst, as you imagine the body of Christ throughout Kearney and our surrounding region, let alone throughout the whole world, know that all who are in Christ are called to love one another as Christ has loved us. And how? How are we equipped? How are we strengthened for that kind of love, that kind of service? Back to verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and so with the fish. At the center of our passage is communion with the resurrected Christ. All who are in Christ are called to commune with the resurrected and living Christ, to take from him daily, to eat and to drink from him, his grace, his mercy, and his love. See, we dwell in a fallen world absent Jesus' physical presence with us. Our world is seemingly spinning out of control, and yet Jesus has already granted us his Holy Spirit so that we become the living stones equipped and empowered to spread his gospel through word and deed throughout the whole world. He has given us worship through word and through sacrament, grace of forgiveness and renewal. He grants us fellowship with the triune God. So come, fishers of the nations. Come, shepherds of God's people. Jesus invites us to commune with him, that his love might be made manifest in our lives, in our midst, and throughout the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this story here, for the life of Peter we can relate in so many ways. We're grateful that he is an example for us in all of his flaws and yet in all of the glory that he gives to you. Help us to bear the image of your Son as we are fishers of men, as we seek to shepherd one another faithfully, that your kingdom might be made much of in our midst and throughout the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.